You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. This morning, I want to continue the conversation we've been having in 2 Corinthians, a letter written by Paul to a church in Corinth. We're in chapters 8 and 9. A friend of mine, his wife, Decided to go out to lunch with a friend of hers, so they went out. It wasn't like a real fancy restaurant, just this little place that they liked, and they went, had, had lunch, just a light lunch, and got the bills, like $25, $30, and paid it, and then it was time to give a tip. So she, my friend's wife, opened her wallet and didn't have change, so she said, oh, let's give $10. So she put in $10, and... The waitress came, took the thing, and then a few minutes later, the waitress came back and said, just really happy, and she said, hey, did, did, did you want change for that? And my friend thought, wow, it's not like Mount Everest here, just a little bit of generosity. No, no, she said, that, that's for you. They said, oh, thank you so much. So lunch is finished. She got back in her car, and Stopped at a couple places that she had to run errands on the way home. One stopped and pick up a pair of shoes. So she went in, got the shoes, went up to pay, opens her wallet. And in the morning, she had put in a $10 bill and a $100 bill. And the $100 bill was not there anymore. Now she understood why the waitress was so happy. She had just gotten a 400% tip. Now, I wish I could tell you that that kind of stuff happens all the time. Sadly, it's often the contrary. I was listening to the radio this week, and there was somebody on there telling a story, and I was really touched. It was a story, this young guy in a church, and they used to go out every Sunday to this restaurant, and he was particularly burdened by the, the waitress there, just her life. And so it got to talking to her one day about faith, and she said, yeah, I am totally not interested in faith and for sure not interested in your church. He said, well, can I ask why? He said, those 12 guys that you just came in with, when they left, the total of their tip was $5. That's how it always is. Yeah, I'm not interested. Ouch. So I said to myself, self, that probably never, ever happens. It was just that one incident. So I did what any thinking individual would do. I went home and I Googled it. Turns out that's not the only time that that happened. In fact, I found a website. It's called sundaysaretheworst.com. Started by a pastor who, in his community, found that often the people who are waiters and waitresses who do service things... Who, who need the kindness of God often found the contrary, and they decided they want. So he started this website, not to be a complaining place, but, but service people who experienced that could just write in, and this was my experience, and when they received it, they would send a letter back and say, so sorry that that happened to you, and then just share some of these stories with the intent that maybe when some Christ followers read it, they would be encouraged to generosity. But when you start reading through there, it's painful. Young kid who is a student in a Christian university, lives in the Bible Belt, serves in a restaurant on Sundays. He said it's not uncommon that 
Instead of leaving a tip, people leave a gospel track. He says, I'm not trying to sound rude, but tracks don't pay my rent, they don't pay my electric, they don't pay my phone, they don't pay gas, they don't pay my tuition. He said, the worst was when somebody wrote on the back of a check, I give God 10%, why would I give you 20%? Ouch. What a, what a misunderstanding of God. God doesn't need your 10%. He's just fine. He wants you to know how to be generous. That's painful to read stuff like that. In fact, we've been talking about the fact that Paul says this gospel, this the spirit of the living God has come to live in us, and the image that he uses is of these clay jars. And the clay jars just remain clay jars, but they become these really beautiful things because the spirit lives in there. And one of the most beautiful pictures of God's spirit in our lives is generosity. True generosity is a lifestyle that touches all of life, but it's often most easily perceived as it pertains to our money and our possessions. Jesus talks a lot about money. What he really wants us to be is generous. But if you haven't learned to be generous with what's in your hands, there's very little chance that you'll learn how to be generous with the really important stuff. So often that's what he talks about. Well, that's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul, writing to this church, is inviting them to give. He's asking for a gift. And it's for a church in Jerusalem that is going through a really difficult time. There's really a critical need. And so he's inviting not just his church in Corinth, but churches all over Asia Minor to give gifts to help this church in need. Here's what's strange. When he talks about it, he talks about the blessing of the gift. But the blessing of the gift is not the people who receive it. The greatest blessing is the people who give it. And so he's inviting them to do that. It's one of the paradoxes of Jesus' kingdom. Giving in Jesus' kingdom raises your stock in heaven. When you give to Jesus' kingdom, you give to those in need, it goes ahead of you. It gets in an account there. Now hear me. It's not like this account up there, you got this much in your, you don't need an account. God's there. But what does go ahead of you is all of that is an investment in, in glory. But that doesn't mean that being generous and giving, it, you'll get your reward in heaven. It, it actually rewards you now. The happiest people on planet Earth are givers. You rarely meet somebody who's a generous person who just regrets so much being generous. Listen to these words. Christian Smith, Hillary Davidson, two sociologists, wrote a book. It's called The Paradox of Generosity, Giving We Receive, Grasping We Lose. This is their observation. Those who give receive back in return. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. This is not only a philosophical and religious teaching, it is a sociological fact. They conclude, the 2,000 people that they questioned, this is what they found, that the givers, the generous, 
It enhances their personal happiness. It enhances their physical health. It gives a stronger sense of purpose and, and often avoids depression. Like, who wouldn't take that pill? That's great. What do you got to do to get it? Give. Now, this is no like, wow, never knew that before. Jesus said this like 2,000 years ago. But if you don't believe him, now there are some scientists who are, who are saying that Jesus actually knew what he was talking about. They're not writing as Christians. They're just writing as sociologists looking at the picture going, the happiest people out there are the givers. So, even though some of the people in Corinth were questioning Paul's integrity, uh, after his first letter, they had kind of turned on him and were questioning his apostleship, his authority, his integrity. He doesn't hesitate to challenge them to give. Most people wouldn't do that. Somebody is questioning your integrity. You don't call them and say, hey, I'm running this campaign. How would you like to join? Paul does. Because for him, the joy of giving, he doesn't want him to miss out on. Listen to what he says. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It is impossible to give more than God. It's impossible to outgive God. It's possible to be generous and not know God. But it is not possible to know God well and not be generous. If you know him, you will not be able to help yourself. You will jump into the dance. And that's what Paul is inviting them to. So, Let's unpack it. First important thing in, in these two chapters is the person who's speaking, the Apostle Paul. So he's writing to them, and it must be really important because two full chapters, I mean, he didn't write his letter in chapters, but for us, it's two big pieces of this letter are, are talking about giving. This is what he says. Here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first ones not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So, this church in Jerusalem why are they suffering? Well, they're suffering because of their faith. So people who were followers of Jesus often were not able to get work because of their faith. So they were suffering. So Paul is calling all these churches to join and to give. When he sent out the call, the first ones to stand up and go, sign us up, were the Corinthians. They even sent a little check ahead. And then it went dead. So he's writing to them and he's saying, Hey, don't forget. Keep. That is a really bold ask. The, the church in Jerusalem is, is facing 
this really difficult place, two things are really powerful in the picture. One, that this apostle whose, whose integrity is in question is asking them to give money. Secondly, in Jerusalem, of course, the majority of the church were Jews. In that day, Jews and Gentiles didn't even eat together. These Gentile churches that now he's saying, they're, they're not like these huge mega churches all over Asia. These are just these little pockets of, of Christ followers in Ephesus and Macedonia and Corinth. And, and Paul is saying to them, hey, the brothers in Jerusalem need you. And he's inviting them in, into this thing. And most of them who are going to give are Gentiles. What an amazing picture. They don't even eat together. But now because of Jesus, they're actually sharing with one another. It also shows in the life of this apostle this quiet settledness about his own motives. He knew that without giving, their growth would be stunted. So he didn't really care if they criticized him. or He cared about their hearts. Sometimes in the church we avoid talking about money because we, we don't want to make people think that this is about money. It's not about money. It's always about our hearts. But our pocketbooks are attached to our hearts. So if we don't talk about money, you can't really talk about people's hearts. And Paul, even though he was going to be criticized, he, he took his courage, and invited them into this. Secondly, it shows his conviction that an essential part of spiritual development is giving. Giving sets our hearts free. So he's not asking for this gift for himself. He's not getting any money. He's not even asking first and foremost for the church in Jerusalem. He's asking for them. He wants them to know the joy. That's the messenger. Here's the model. So he invites them to, to, to get money together to give to the church in Jerusalem. And then he encourages them with two models. One's divine, one's human. You guys, if you're going to do this, let me just encourage you. Here's some models. The first one is Jesus. This is what he says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So first Paul chooses a divine model, Jesus. That's beautiful. The, the picture is beautiful. The difficulty with the picture is it's Jesus. So you go, yeah, I, yeah that one's beyond me. He knows it's beyond you. That's why he follows it with the human one. But the, the divine model is so that you understand the idea. So he says this. He, though he was rich. How rich was he? Really rich. Do you know that God in heaven does not have accounts you have accounts, because you need to measure my 403 is like here, my this is over here. This is, 
He doesn't have any of those. He doesn't need them. Because everything he has is infinite. That's how rich he is. God doesn't sit around counting what he has. He doesn't need you. He has the universe on the tip of his finger. He, he has it all. He, the glory of heaven, the rightness, the joy, the relationship, the infinite, self-sufficient, immutable, all-powerful creator has no need for anything. That's how rich he was and is. And it says he left all that for us and he became poor. How poor? The poorest of the poor. It says that when he came, there were no kings, there were no presidents, nobody knew except a couple of shepherds and a couple that was this little village couple from this tiny little village in Bethlehem. They're the only ones that even knew that he was coming. The night of his birth, he was born, they weren't even at home, they were away from home, they were in a stable, and he was born in a stable. He, he never really had a home. He didn't have a bank account. He didn't have a place, the scripture says, to lay his head. And his life ended not by natural causes. He was betrayed by his best friends. His own people turned on him. They cursed him. They beat him. They spit at him. And they crucified him. How poor was he? You can't be more poor than that. Why did he become poor? So that you could become rich. It's a, it's a sacrilege to think that that rich is about money. It's so much bigger than money. It's about God himself. He's given us himself. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us grace. He's come to indwell us by his spirit. So he says, here's the model. This is what God did. Though he had everything, he gave it all up to become poor so that he could give it to you. That's the model. But, again, we'll look at the model and go, that is so beautiful, but <laughs> that is like way outside my thing. Don't worry. He says, let me give you a human one. And then he talks about this church in Macedonia. This is what he says. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. Isn't that beautiful? So he says, I'm inviting you to, to give, to, to learn generosity. This is who God is. It's all from him. But let me give you a picture of what that would look like. Here's these churches in Macedonia. They're actually poor and they're actually going through a very difficult time. 
We didn't even ask them. They asked us, hey, can we give? And he said what they gave far exceeded. One thing he underlines is the grace was first of all from the Lord. Why did they give to people they didn't even know? It was the Lord. It was God's spirit that put it in them. And he said it's just this beautiful thing. It's not our nature to be generous. Our nature is to turn and make sure our desires are taken care of. And God's spirit begins to change that and he frees us to be givers, to be generous. The Macedonians are a beautiful picture. Though they were poor, in their poverty they sacrifice. Often we think that it's wealthy people that should be generous, and they should. But this isn't about wealthy people. This is about people people. It's for all of us. 25 years, Ellen and I had the privilege of serving with the Christian Missionary Alliance in West Africa. That is purely by the gifts of God's people. I got to go around and visit churches. You would think that it's a bunch of rich people who just out of their excess send people out. It's not. Just people like you and me who said, this is what I got, and I'm going to, and this is what God does. So he's encouraging them. Generosity is contagious. When people jump in, it calls other people in. So he says, this is who Jesus is. Let me show you another picture, and now he's inviting them. Here's the method that he gives them to give. First thing he talks about is integrity. They're taking this offering, so he says that I'm sending Titus to pick up the offering. Then in verse 18, he says, we are also sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid criticism of the way it's administered, this liberal gift. For we're taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. And you're going, why is it important to have all these details in the Bible? Like, why does everybody need to know all this? That's really important. Integrity in giving is so important. In the church, we ask people to give to the Lord. But those gifts, they're, they're sacred. They're they belong to God. So how you manage them, money gets into people and it just destroys them. It can destroy the best of them. And so if you don't put some walls around it, to, when we first started this church, there's just a few of us at the helm and you're just trying to get stuff done and you need money. And I thought, well, just give me a checkbook. Let's do this. And they were like, no, we don't want you to have a checkbook. We want to protect you because... If you don't have to even think about that, that was really wise. Integrity in the use of God's money is so important. So he says, we're going to send not just Titus, because if Titus just comes by himself, even if you all trust Titus, Titus counts the money, and then he takes the money, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he gives the money. How do we know how much was given? How do we, we only have one guy. 
That's why we're sending somebody else that all the churches chose to be with it because we want this to be done with integrity. Second thing he talks about is generosity. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now you can agree with this or you can disagree, but you can't change it. What he's saying is those who spend their resources, their lives serving others, reap blessing. And you can't take it away. Those who hoard and hold on, they don't help anybody else, and they don't even help themselves. That's just the way it is. One of the richest people that I know is my wife's father. Funny thing is, he doesn't have a lot of money. In fact, he's 91 now, and Social Security only takes you so far. So it, it's not somebody who's sitting around trying to figure out how to spend his money. But I don't know anybody who's more wealthy. Right about the time he got married, his father died, and he got an inheritance, and he took the inheritance, and... He just got married, so he took a small portion of it and went on a honeymoon. Good choice. Took 25% of it, and at that time, they were just getting into the whole retirement accounts and all that stuff, and so this Christian guy that he knew was setting one of those up, and he said, I'll help you do that. It's a really good investment. So he took that money and put it there, and then he took the whole rest of it, and in the village where he lived in Burkina Faso, he built the first school and the first dispensary. Here we are, it's like 60 years later, about 60 years later. The good brother who took his money to invest it, stole it, and ran away. The money he invested in their village, that school is still standing, the dispensary is still standing, literally hundreds of people have come through there and gone into ministry, literally gone all over the world serving Christ. If you go on his Facebook account, you're like, there's just people all over the world. He's discipling by faith. He's just a rich man. You can't out-sow God. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. He also says to do it with intention. He said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Generosity is learned. It's like a muscle. There's a, there's a method laid out in Scripture, and he says, don't just haphazardly give. Hey, you know what? It's the end of the month. Got a little bit left over. I think. No, he says, think about it. Make a decision. What, what, how are you going to give? What are you going to give? Decide it in your heart. Don't do it reluctantly. Give. Well, the way that the... This is not a guilt thing. This is a heart-changing thing. What the Scripture teaches us is from the Old Testament on, to give a tithe to God. So when whatever it is you receive, take 10% and give it to God. It's actually not for God as much as it is for you. Reminds you first that it all belongs to Him. It also teaches your heart to, to trust Him. He says, put me to the test. It also helps your heart not to get enslaved by money. It's really easy and I don't have to tell you in 
Money can get you really fast. You just get a little bit, you're like, oh, what about... So you want to fight that disease? Give. That's what the scripture says. If you give, that's what keeps your heart straight. So he teaches us. And this is not legalism. It's just a way of training your heart to be generous. The other 90%, what happens to that? Well, that belongs to God too. And the 10% just reminds you that it's all his. He says to use it. Take care of your family. Invest it in the kingdom. Be intentional. The next thing he says in verse 7 is do it with joy. Give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. You've heard the story about the kid who's on his way to church and his mom gives him a dollar to put in the offering and says, here's a quarter after church, go get an ice cream cone. Yeah, that was a long time ago. So he goes to church, he comes back, the quarter's gone, he's still got the dollar. She said, you didn't buy ice cream? No, he said, when the pastor got up for the offering, he said, God loves a cheerful giver. I thought I could be so much happier giving a quarter than a dollar that I gave the quarter and I, I kept the dollar for myself. That's not what he's saying here. If you can't give with joy, give anyways. Because you're better off giving grumpy than not giving. And if you do it long enough, you'll get happy about it. In West Africa, often... When there's a big offering, they don't do it like we do it. They don't pass a basket around. They actually have baskets in front, and, and you make your way up singing, and, and you give your offering. Well, one day I'm in church, and they're doing this march offering. So I start singing, and everybody's... Well, I'm like second in line. The guy in front of me, he's really feeling it. So he's just boogieing up the aisle, singing his heart out, and... I'm like, man, this guy is really feeling the joy today. It's beautiful. So I get up to the front. He gets to the baskets, very ceremoniously puts his hand in and lets her go. I decided not to dance that day for two reasons. One is I'm terrible at it. The second is I hadn't really prepared that much money, so I thought I'm not going to make a spectacle of myself here. I just quietly get it. But I got up there, and I... I know you're not supposed to do this, but I was just interested. I thought, man, that, that brother must have really given some cash. So when I went to give, I just leaned up a little bit so I could see in the basket. There was nothing in there. That's not to criticize my good brother. Joy is not about making a lot of noise. Joy is about something a whole lot deeper. That God wants you to know. That as you learn to, to be generous like him, he fills you with a joy in doing it. So he says, give with joy. Here's the last idea. So what's the motivation to do all this? Well, he closes talking about the sower, and then he says this. And God is able to bless you abundantly so then all things at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work as it is written 
They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will he also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness? You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So here's the picture. God's love and grace are literally like an ocean. If you want to empty an ocean and all you got is a spoon, it's going to take you a day or two. In fact, it doesn't matter how many spoons you take out, you're not even making any progress. And he's saying that God's love, his grace, it's like an ocean. And he looks for places to pour it out. We're the clay jars, the vessels in which it is poured. And there's no... There's no like limit on it. There's no shortage. He says he is able to bless you abundantly in every way, at all times, in all things, having all you need. But here's the picture. The vessel, the clay jar, has an intake valve and it has an outtake. And the more that the outtake is turned on, the more it gets poured in. That's just how it works. But when the outtake valve closes, what's in the jar just gets smelly. So he says, allow yourself to be generous. God on every occasion in every way will pour into you so that what? So that you can be generous. Because that's what he wants to be. So, what am I saying? What I'm saying is very simple. Be generous. Be intentional about giving to God. Give money, give yourself. If you're trying to figure out, what does that even look like? We've made available a couple times a book. It's called The Treasure Principle. I think there's one or two still left back there. There's one up here. If you need something to help you in your reflection, Fantastic book. When you give, you bless other people. You become God's hands of blessing to somebody else. But he says, actually the biggest blessing is to you. And then he says, the beautiful thing is it also gives glory to God. So, if you don't have the habit of giving, I would encourage you this morning, start. You say, Pastor, I would love to do that, but I already can't make ends meet. Now you're asking me. All I can tell you is what it says. What it says is if you'll trust him, his resources are way bigger than yours. But if you don't want to share them, that's your choice. close with this story. First, let me just say this. 
Why am I talking about this? I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. The generosity of this church family blesses me over and over. I love to see God's... This is a, a wonderfully generous family. So my point is not, for crying out loud, I'm preaching about this because I can't miss it. Like, it's two whole chapters in the letter we're walking through, so if I don't talk about this, I missed it. So that's why I'm talking about it. Let me close with this story. My daughter, Angel, just got her first job. Hallelujah. So she went off into the big, bad world, but she was here in Cleveland for a few months with us, looking for a job, trying to figure out where she was going to go. And during that time, she was hanging out with some of her high school friends who had just graduated from college who were also looking for jobs, and she was the first one that found a job. And so before she left, they came over to spend the evening with her. So they were talking about all of it. One of her friends is an economy major. So she says to Angel, you know, what's your salary going to be? Have you thought through the budget and what that's going to look like? And so Angel said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I have. Here's, here's the budget I wrote out. So she hands it to her friend, and her friend starts reading it. Okay, food, rent, and She gets down and listens. She says, what's a tiz? Angel said, what? So she walks over and goes, well, that, that's a tithe. And her friend says, well, what is that? She said, well, that's something that the Bible says is really important to give to God. And the way that that happens is you give it to the church. And so that's, that's what I've done since I was a little kid. And so that's why that's there. You would think that her friend who didn't grow up in the church, who never even heard of this before, was an economy major, would look at it and go, are you out of your ever-loving mind? Like, how does that work? But she didn't. She looked at it and she said, wow, that's really beautiful. You're only 22 years old and you're already thinking about outside of yourself. It, it gives glory to God. As a father, that gives me just such joy. Not, it's not the money. It's that I want my children to know how generous their heavenly father is. But you can't know it unless you join the dance. And to see them taking those steps gives my heart great joy. Also makes my heart want to be more like that. May God help us all. We're going to close this morning really appropriately around this table. The whole message of this table is that though he was rich, he became poor so that we could become rich. While the team comes, let me pray for us and then we'll gather around the table together. Father, thank you. Generosity is not our idea. It's yours. It's not even your idea. It's just who you are. And we want to look like that. We want to become more and more like that. So would you help us? Would you... You, Holy Spirit, that's come to live in us, prompt us and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with Him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.